The COVID crisis produced an interesting statistic within the life insurance industry in 2020. For the first time in a decade, sales of life insurance policies rose 4% due to an understandable concern around mortality as the pandemic continues to rage. Life insurance is not a hot ticket consumer item, plain and simple. People don't like to face their mortality even at the worst of times, like now. When insurers conduct surveys about buying life coverage, they unearth the same problem over and over. The process of applying and being approved is far too long, far too complex, and as a result leaves consumers feeling far too uncertain that they'll get coverage at all. So life insurance companies are quickly adapting methods to try and reduce the one to two month waiting period as much as possible. One key method that's rapidly finding traction is accelerated underwriting. In other words, speeding up the risk assessment process. And insurance companies are achieving this with digital technology. Hello, I'm Chris Henry, and this is Ahead of the Curve, produced by Jarrett, one of the leading Salesforce implementation and consultation partners. The life insurance industry has been slow to change and slow to embrace digital technology. Many companies continue to rely on legacy systems housed in aging mainframe infrastructure that's difficult to update. In today's episode, we'll hear from a former life insurance company executive and the former vice president of underwriting for AAA Insurance. They'll both explain why life insurance companies have been laggards with technology when it's working so well for property and casualty firms. And they'll talk about how accelerated underwriting may just be the game changer the life insurance industry badly needs. Russ Bostick is the former chief technology officer for Chase Insurance and former executive VP for CNO Financial Group. He's now a technology consultant for the life, annuity and supplemental health insurance industries. He maintains that the problems start right at the beginning. Frankly, the biggest impediment for people to buy life insurance once they've made the decision that they need some is applying for it. Without accelerated underwriting, it can be a process that takes 45 to 60 days, depending upon your health and the cooperation of your physician. And uh, folks are used to getting things they want sooner than that. And certainly there are plenty of other insurance products such as homeowners or personal automobile insurance where you can get it virtually instantly. The fact that the process is cumbersome is a big impediment, particularly for uh, younger ages where they've grown up in a post-internet age and really aren't going to have the patience for long duration processes. Uh, so the truth is that the growth in industry has been slowed down partly by that and then partly by the, in the United States, what was known as the baby bust, which means that there are actually fewer folks born in the United States who are available to buy insurance. And, and there's a long tradition of purchasing life insurance in the United States. So those ages and uh, folks were aligned with buying it. You add that to the fact that it's difficult to get compared to other services, and you have a, uh, a demand that isn't as great as it used to be. It stands to reason that people are now suddenly interested in life coverage for themselves and their families. Coverage is most affordable when you're young, but ironically, millennials, for example, haven't been interested. And Russ has some theories about that. 
Well, people are thinking about life insurance a lot more, unfortunately, as a result of the pandemic. And uh, last year, the growth rate in transactions that go through what's called the Medical Information Bureau, or MIB for short, uh, was 4% uh, over the prior year. That's the largest growth MIB has ever seen. That reflects the fact that uh, as a result of the pandemic and as a result of accelerated underwriting, there's a great deal more interest in purchasing life insurance. So AUW then is is making life insurance, I guess, more palatable for the general public. It, it actually brings life insurance to more of a level playing field with other financial services activities that they have. So it feels like something where they can initiate a process and get a reliable result. And that's important when you're trying to get first adoption of any new product. And keep in mind that you know the millennials, if they have life insurance, it came through the workplace and was basically included in their compensation package. It wasn't something that uh, uh, someone came and told them that they needed. And in fact, they might have the opposite feeling, which is that it's just too difficult to get. One of the other elements that holds back millennial life insurance purchases is that studies have shown that they think it costs more than it does. And of course, one way to correct for that is to engage distribution partners who know that the underwriting is going to be fast to carry the message that, in fact, it's not that expensive. In fact, it actually is very affordable and prudent to buy life insurance as a millennial. And you're, I think you're talking about the insure techs who are uh, occupying that space? The insure te- absolutely. A lot of the insure techs that uh, are in the life insurance space are focused on distribution, meaning focused on acquiring folks that want to buy life insurance and selling them a policy. These uh, organizations are still receiving commissions from carriers for the most part, there really hasn't been a fully integrated insure tech come to market quite yet, except for those that are sponsored by carriers themselves under a separate brand. But we're really on the cusp of that happening in our industry. And I do believe that you'll see that insure techs will combine not only performing the underwriting and gathering the data and selling the policy, but also servicing it in the future. These new technology-driven companies, the InsureTechs, are certainly leading the digital charge today. Cheryl Johns is the former vice president of underwriting for AAA Insurance in the U.S. I asked her if she thought InsureTechs were also pushing traditional life carriers to become more streamlined. Definitely. And I think that you see several carriers that have created or are partnered with and insure tech as a different or separate distribution channel. And they call them Symmetra. They, they all have an arm and it has a unique name. They've created these separate entities and they want them to feel separate because they don't want to have, they don't want to have conflict. They don't want to have distribution conflict. So even in mid-sized carriers like AAA Life where I worked, We were very, very focused on having all of the ways that a consumer would like to purchase insurance from us covered. And that includes a digital or insure type of experience. Now, that's not where most of the sales are being made today. And in fact, in some research that I've been involved in, and, and LIMRA supports this, applicants may start out digital and they may do their research digital but about 70% of those people want to be advised. So there's still a huge role for agents to play here in in making sure that people get covered. 
When a life policy goes through a traditional underwriting process, it's normal for an underwriter to seek out a customer's medical records from their family doctor, something known as the APS or attending physician statement. Getting the APS can be time consuming and it's the chief reason why it can take so long for a policy to be issued. Absolutely. There is no doubt about it that if you can get and you can use a process, and there are several vendors out there that are offering this as a service, but if you can get an electronic health record, that can be instantaneous, or sometimes it's two or three days, but it's far less than sometimes the 30, 40, 50, even 60 days that it may take a doctor's office to respond. And I think an, another thing about that old uh, attending physician statement, the APS, that underwriters are, are relying on. it. There's no doubt about it from a mortality perspective. That gives a home office, that gives an underwriter the most information, typically, about a person to try to figure out what their price is than any other thing that we order or get. But companies are being much smarter in how frequently they order those because of the pain and how long they take. And in addition to taking long, it's not just the how long it takes the physician's office to respond. The records themselves are very time consuming once they arrive because someone has to read them. It's getting to where most of them are typed now, but in the good old days, and, and <laughs> they were handwritten uh, and, and that could be a challenge. So, so it's not yeah. just about that time. It's about how long it takes someone to look at 200 pages of information that goes back five years. So how does a life insurer acquire someone's electronic health records when their medical information may be scattered across the medical landscape? One company that's solving the problem is Human API. A company like Human API is breaking through the process by helping consumers to aggregate their health information in one place. A lot of people go to multiple doctors, multiple medical facilities, and it's great if they're all connected in and using the same electronic health records repository, but they aren't always. You know, Epic and Cerner are two huge health providing technology companies that have, have helped doctors and hospitals and clinics move their data into this digital format. And then getting consumers to get used to going to a portal or going to a website and creating logins so that they can retrieve their information uh, that's a challenge. Company like Human API is helping with some of that as well. So there, it's not all smooth sailing. You know, there's a lot of dependencies on the facilities. There's a lot of dependency on the applicant. In some cases, for electronic health records, you know, people are, uh, you know, that internet and all of that is kind of big brotherish. And so, do I really want my insurance company or my agent to have access to all my health stuff. And, and by clicking this box, does it mean that they can get in there and look at my stuff anytime they want? So there's a lot of, of security and trust and things like that to work through and make the processes really work. There are other companies engaged in the same kind of work, but the bottom line is that insurers can access it digitally and input it into their risk assessment tools. Well, life insurers, 
like to think that they can develop proprietary information about applicants. But the truth is that only the very largest life insurers have access to a large enough pool of information about their applicants and current policyholders to operate with a, say, a proprietary data approach to underwriting. The insurers are getting their data through places like the MIB, through commercial providers like LexisNexis or Milliman, and there's others. I've just named two of the ones that come to mind immediately. And those organizations are collecting pharmacy data, are collecting data about the various risk events that somebody might have had. And in some cases, data is being collected that relate to activities that you're performing that help them to make those decisions. But the bottom line is that life insurers are going out into the the market and with the authorization from the applicant, gathering the commercially available information about their health and gathering in a digital form so that it can be input to a, a model based on prior experience that suggests what the risk class for that person ought to be. Frequently, underwriters still take a look at that suggestion to ensure that there isn't some dramatic outlier in the data. But increasingly, uh, underwriters are letting the model, which has been uh, verified and validated, make the rate class decision for that person. It's going to reduce the number of uh, inappropriate risk classifications significantly. But you know, keep in mind, I mentioned earlier about a continuum of simplified all the way to full. There's also a continuum of practices within accelerated underwriting. Life insurance carriers are at different levels of maturity. They have different go-to-market strategies with respect to the distribution channel they intend to use, the ages, for instance, they might wish to attract. And therefore, they're not all equal. This is uh, an ecosystem, if you will, where all the parties are staking out their turf and what they think uh, a high-quality risk assessment is. And they continue to evolve their practices according to what ultimately the data shows them. Carriers are very focused on looking at the uh, claims data that results on these uh, cases issued in the last three to four years. And in addition to that, uh, when doing the underwriting, most of them are still holding back a certain percentage of randomly selected cases to put them through traditional full underwriting very quickly and see whether or not they achieve the same mortality decision. So there's an active and ongoing testing of the models to make sure that they're accurate. Let's get into the practical benefits of accelerated underwriting. We know it speeds things up, it makes issuance faster, and it's great for the consumer. But does it reduce costs? Does it boost profits? Here's Cheryl Johns again. You know, the reality is the life insurance industry, the market, as with many products, is a competitive environment. And so a driver and and a benefit uh, by enhancing the processes, companies are striving to increase their engagement with agents or with consumers, meeting those consumer expectations about digital, increasing application volumes. It's about ensuring more people in faster timeframes, right? We know it's faster. So, you know, companies that don't do this are at risk of being selected against in the form of pe- people won't choose them. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, why Why would I choose someone that causes me to have to go get my blood work drawn and my, my urine sample taken when right next door is the company that I can get the same coverages without having to do that? 
at the same prices or very similar. So it's about choice. The creating efficiencies in the home office is a big one. It reduces processing expense, something that you pointed out, in both time and, and the people involved. But it also helps to reduce the cost to underwrite. Collecting the data versus the, the cost of a full blood profile and a paramedical exam and all those invasive kinds of tests that we like to do helps. And, and when you can do some of that, and you've got your rules set correctly, then you can look at things like commissioned agents and how you might be able to adjust that. And you can look at things like the price of the product and pass on some of those savings to the consumer, uh, assuming that you aren't eating them all in uh, paying for the extra mortality that you may get. You know, lastly, the automation of data gathering and the data assessment through the use of uh, rules engines, it results in consistency in decisions. When you're making decisions the same way every time based upon a set of data and criteria, at the end of the day, a company would expect to see a better mortality assessment, assuming that you had it right. So there's a lot to be said for consistency in, in the decisioning process as well that AUW tends to bring for an insurer. We've always been about figuring out that we, we want to get the right applicants at the right price in the product. We want to make sure that the right applicants are declined coverage, that we're not declining too many, that we're picking the right ones to not offer that particular coverages to. And that hasn't changed. In fact, may help us to to evaluate that faster. And I say that because accelerated underwriting has introduced a couple of checkpoints that were very rarely used in the old uh, way of underwriting. I'm gonna introduce a couple of terms here. Insurance companies are doing random holdouts. And that's where an applicant who would have otherwise qualified for the accelerated program and criteria gets held out and they put them through the regular traditional underwriting processes. They're then able to evaluate, if I had taken this applicant, and based on this full underwriting profile that I have of them now, what would my accelerated processes decision have, have made? And look at that and say, if it's a match, then fantastic. It's a pointer that we've got our accelerated criteria maybe correct. And so random holdouts is a, a pretty common process. I've seen companies uh, do anywhere from 2% to as high as 20% of the applications that are coming in and would, would have otherwise qualified for accelerated put into a random holdout process. The other thing is a post-issue underwriting. Now, we've always done a little bit of this, and that's where most authorizations on applications are good for about two years. And so in order to determine, MIB is an example of data that's been used for years and years and years by almost all insurance carriers. And what MIB would do is they would send you, if an applicant applied somewhere else and MIB codes that were uh, important came into view, they would send you a hit basically saying, hey, you asked us for information on this person nine months ago here's some additional information that we just got on them. And based on that post-issue, so that person was issued nine months ago, based on that, we would evaluate. Most of the time, when you take a look at somebody after you've already issued them a policy, there's no action to be taken. 
you occasionally uncover something that says, oh boy, instead of our preferred best, that person would have been standard because whatever. And most carriers don't do anything with that. They let the person just go on and have their policy as it was. Uh, But they learn from it and adjust rules behind the scenes to make sure that we're taking all of those things into consideration. Hmm. So random holdouts and post-issue underwriting are, are more heavily used than than perhaps they've been in the past. And it's really about helping to define the criteria correctly and making sure that mortality remains good so that prices can remain fair for consumers. Consumers could also benefit in another way. Imagine the premiums for your term insurance are flexible rather than fixed as they are today. Flexible in the sense that your insurer receives a continual stream of data from a wearable device tracking your overall health Sound far-fetched? Not so, say both Russ and Cheryl. There's a lot of experimentation and for that matter, real production activities going on with Fitbits and other electronic equipment that indicate the lifestyle you're leading. And presumably that information could be used to variableize the pricing, but there hasn't been much movement in that area yet. I still see that as more in the future than the present, but Clearly, the example has been set in personal lines, property casualty, specifically automobile insurance. And uh, I would expect that something akin to that will be made available in life insurance. So the buying experience might be a little different for everyone. Clean, simple cases are going to be handled through an all-digital process with automation making the decisions and hands-off or STP straight-through processing at the home office, it's going to allow carriers to customize benefits and customize pricing. So there will be the uh, Chris Henry price uh, and a policy versus what we have today, which is a 64-year-old male super preferred price. Today, age, gender, tobacco status, and personal history all influence those prices. Those things may still influence, but it'll be much more customized. I'm I'm kind of reminded of a State Farm commercial where they talk about the Chris Henry price, and uh, we're headed in that direction. When an insurer who still uses traditional processes wants to bring a new insurance product to market, it's not easy, quick, or cheap. Often it can take up to nine months and cost upwards of a million dollars to design, test, and market. So can accelerated underwriting speed up the process and lower the cost? That's a really good question, and and you're right on. I mean, it it is not unusual for it to take every bit of six to nine months and a million dollars. One of the complexities that AUW introduces is all of the technology. Many carriers have lots of back-end systems that they're trying to link together, but they're trying to build these systems in such a way that making modifications is much, much easier than it was in the past. All of that mainframe programming and that was required before is now configuration. So I expect to see the timeframes condense considerably. And it's really based upon the new technologies that are out there and available that allow us to build these products and modify the way that we underwrite them much more quickly because the technologies are much easier to to modify. 
Those technologies include Salesforce and Salesforce Insurance, both of which can be modified into custom insurance solutions by Gerent's team of solutions providers. AAA has been using the Salesforce platform for a number of years. I was most familiar with it from the terms of a um, an agent call center. So agents who were selling insurance over the phone to AAA members that wanted to purchase it. That was their connection to starting the process. So it was where they got their contacts, who they should call, how they should call them, all of the information about that applicant that they needed. And then it connected that history and that wealth of information into the the sales and the uh, application processes, The of course, the um, illustration processes as well. Um, it was co- equivalent to an administrative platform or a workflow platform for a home office. It was the equivalent of that for our, our sales agents. So it helped them do their job. It's clear that several hurdles are facing the life insurance industry today. Convincing a reluctant public to buy by showing them the process can be far easier and faster than in the past, rising to the challenges posed by insurtechs, and being willing to onboard digital systems to replace outmoded legacy software. All of this can be accomplished with existing digital technology and powerful data analytics, and more will be possible in the near future. You've been listening to Ahead of the Curve, produced by Gerund in cooperation with Salesforce. Many thanks to Russ Bostick and Cheryl Johns for their insights and expertise that made this episode possible. Technical producer for Ahead of the Curve is Dave Grind from the Acme Podcasting Company in Toronto. I'm Chris Henry. Thanks for joining us.